So before I talk about uh, the topic that I want to talk about, uh, which uh, really is in Rosh Hashanah, uh, it's, it's called the Haftorah of Rosh Hashanah, all about Rachel Menu. If you could do the class, Liloi Nishma Mazal Bat Tafika. Liloi Nishmat Nishmat. What's her name? Mazal. Mazal. Bat Shafika. Bat. How do you say that? Shafika. That Sharika. No, it's with an S. With an S. Shafika. Oh, Shafika. Okay, yeah, the uh, shir should be in memory with an alias neshama of uh, Mazal Bas Shasika. Exactly. And uh, it should elevate her in the uh, in Gan Eden. Yes. Sorry to hear that she was Mister Misteris. How old was she? Ninety-five. Uh, Kanainhara. Wow, very nice. Okay, uh, I want to start this year off with uh, what I feel is, in many ways, good news, good tidings, because I think we really have a good chance that we are right up against the uh, beginning of the Gula. So I want to start off with that. <clears throat> I had mentioned a while back, a couple of years ago, very interesting idea. The Gebara says that in Sanhedrin, that uh, Mashiach, bin, uh, Mashiach comes Moitzoi Shemitah, which means at the end of Shemitah, that's when he comes, which means after Shemitah is over, that's when he will appear, which means that uh, the Messianic era will begin, but not the, the era has different stages. But certainly that the Mashiach, as I once mentioned, will be released for what's called the uh, Kripa, and that he will be free to begin to pursue his mission. And that's messianic, obviously. Uh, it is the equivalent of Moshe Rabbeinu at the Sneh, where he was informed that he is the Mashiach to be, and please take out the Jewish people. And that is known as the Pekida. So it's very possible that the Pekida will start now, this year, obviously, Tavshin Tei Beis is um, a um, Shemitah year. So, uh, it's interesting, Tavshin Tei Beis can be read. It's always interesting to have a Rosh Tevis of the year alluding to the Messianic era. So, it could be Tiyashnas, it should be the year of, okay, Pesichat, um, the beginning, Be'itoi, of Be'itoi, because the Mashiach will come Be'itoi in its proper time. So that's what Tavshin Tebez could be, Tishna Psich Be'itoi, the beginning of Be'itoi. <clears throat> now what does that mean? I had mentioned uh, previously uh, and that, and that um, if the Mashiach does come this Mitzvah Shemitah, it's very possible that this Mitzvah Shemitah can be a Yovel. Because we know after seven Shemitah, Yovel is the 50th year. And we don't know when Yovel is, but it's very possible, maybe, 
that this Mitzvah Shemitah could be a Yovel, and obviously Yovel is when everything goes back to its original owners, and obviously the world will go back to the ownership of God, you see. But anyway, uh, and I mentioned also that if that is the case, then the Shemitah year will see tremendous preparations. Because the Messianic year doesn't start without preparations. So this Shemitah year would have those kind of preparations. But I mentioned also that if this year does have preparations, then there is a preparation to the preparation, and that's Elul. So if you recall, I said that if I, what I'm saying is correct, we will see spectacular events in Elul. That's what I mentioned. Have we seen it? And the answer is yes. And I'm going to list them. The first thing we saw, and when I say spectacular, the preparation, there's always two concepts when we're looking at the gula. One is the eradication of evil. That has to come first. The overthrow of evil. That has to come first. You see. Uh, a second idea is that evil itself has to admit that it was evil. <clears throat> and then there could go the introduction of toiv or holiness. You see, that's the process. So if there is a preparation, then that preparation indicates something to do with an overthrow of evil. And that's exactly what happened. So event number one is, Maria, is uh, Andrew Cuomo quit. Now, Cuomo is a very evil person. If you look at his face, you can see that it exudes evil. And we know that. He's an incredible megalomaniac responsible for the death of at least 15,000 people. And we see, besides that, he condemned the Orthodox community in COVID. I'm not going to go through the list of what this person does. But believe me, he's a very evil person. And he was thrown out. He didn't just quit. Obviously, he resigned so he wouldn't be impeached. But he was thrown out in disgrace. <clears throat> and um, for him, it's an incredible punishment because he lives to rule over others. And that's always what a megalomaniac does. So he's gone. And that was a spectacular event because New York State is uh, one of the most prominent states in the Democratic Party. And the fact that he was thrown out is a tremendous shock to the Democratic Party. In fact, they were even voting him. He got an Emmy, and they were thinking maybe he should run for president also. In any case, the revolution threw him out in disgrace. So that's a very, very uh, outstanding event for, on the side of Toiv, on the side of good. Second event is what's called the, B the Biden fiasco. What Biden did is, is, is uh, it just beyond belief. Why? Because how do you take out the army from Afghanistan before you rescue all the American citizens, also the Afghanis that work with the Americans, and they were promised that they would be taken out, right? <clears throat> and also many people all of them live in dread because they all know that they will be killed by the Taliban. So how do you remove the army before you take these people out? I mean, it's just beyond belief. 
not only that, how do you leave $85 billion worth of weaponry? It's beyond belief. Imagine $85 billion of weaponry. They, I heard that they are now the fifth strongest army in the world. I mean, they themselves, the Taliban, cannot believe their luck. Uh, and besides, we, the real danger is not even, from, not even from the Taliban. It's from the fact that by doing this and allowing the Taliban to become a powerful army and to remain in Afghanistan, to rule there, that will allow Afghanistan to become the residence of terrorism or terrorists like Al-Qaeda and ISIS. In fact, even Lindsey Graham, a senator, I think from South Carolina, said that they therefore expect another 9-11. This is the repercussion that they have given a place to evil. So how in the world could Biden have done that? But what that does is it destroys Biden's reputation. And because people say that this is the greatest uh, faux pas mistake ever made in, uh, since World War II, ever made in American history. So therefore, his, he has been disgraced. Same idea, you see. And Biden is a very bad person. And you can see what, uh, what he wants to do to Israel. He wants a two-state solution. And he wants to restore the power, the legitimacy of the Palestinians and so on. But in any case, that's a sad, but what Biden, the real thing about Biden is not just him. He represents an incredibly evil party, the Democratic Party, that wants to take over America, make it communist, introduce unbelievable of what's called hashkoso, uh, corruption, the LGBTQ+, all that is all from the Democratic Party. In any case, so it is not just him, but the party itself has been disgraced. So that's a second incredible event. And then there was a third and that third makes it a chazaka, a chazoka, which is a legal assumption. What is that? That is Hurricane Ida. Now, you may wonder, well, why? I mean, it was bad news, obviously. Um, but why is Ida an indication that evil has been overthrown? Well, what is fascinating is this. In 2005, on Sunday of August 29th, 2005, Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, wiped it out 16 years ago. Why? I once gave a shear in 2005, and I explained why. Because on that Wednesday of that week, uh, Katrina hit on Sunday, so of that week, uh, Wednesday, New Orleans has a holiday called Southern Decadence Day. I mean, the name itself indicates where anybody who is a uh, corruption in gender, the LGBTQ, can commit acts publicly without any repercussions. And that is tremendous corruption in acts of zima. So what does God say? You cannot do this. Because this is the beginning of the recognition by the government itself, you see, to practice these terrible immoralities. And therefore, I will send a mini-mobble. Now, we know why the mobble happened. Chazal say, and I mentioned that a long time ago, is that the decree of the mobble happened 
because when a person, would, when a man would marry a man or an animal, this is a midrash, he would have to write a ksuba, which meant that it not only was legitimate, it was legal, where you would actually have to write a contract of your responsibilities, which is incredible. So the midrash says that that sealed the decree of the mabul. Uh, so therefore, in Katrina, God sent it. Same idea as the mabul, the mini mabul. Because New Orleans is now allowing, even if uh, allowing this to occur in this day of Wednesday, and it destroyed the city. Well, guess what? Exactly 16 years later, which is Sunday, August 29th of 2021, Hurricane Ida hit. Now, Katrina was a Category 3. Ida is a Category 4. In fact, it's the fifth most strongest hurricane ever to hit United States. And that same thing happened. It hit New Orleans, Louisiana, and it destroyed them. We don't even know how much destruction it wrought on that state. Same idea, to prevent the sudden decadent state, just like Katrina. And this was the punishment for that state. But things have changed. In that 2005, even though New York State was pretty bad, I don't think it was legal. But today, uh, LGBTQ plus is legal in New York State and perhaps New Jersey. So God said, not only will it destroy New Orleans, but I'm going to send it up all the way up to New York State and destroy New York State. And the amount of damage is beyond belief, not only to cars, but to basements. I mean, uh, it's just incredible how much damage, damage. Somebody told me that they estimate the damage of Hurricane Ida to be $95 billion. What a sum of money, you see. And Ida is a mini model. Same thing with Katrina, in fact, it came on the exact same day. So this is also against evil. It's against the evil of hashchosa, of immorality and depravity, you see. So it's incredible to watch three things that are against evil happen in Elul. Now, for, that, for us, that tells us something very important, <clears throat> you see. Because evil is protected by the Satan. <clears throat> These are his soldiers. He wants these institutions to corrupt society. So then people will sin. And he's hoping, of course, that the Jews will sin as a result of the fact that it's all, you know, it's society, it's all legitimate, you see. And that's what he wants. So the fact that he couldn't protect his main generals, <clears throat> Cuomo is a general, Biden and the Democratic Party, they are clearly generals, you know, and uh, the LGBTQ society, these are all major streams of evil, you see. And the Satan could not protect it, which shows that he's losing, you see. And the fact that they all happened in such close proximity before Tavshin Membez, right, shows you that we are at the doorstep at the door of the preparation for the Mashiach himself. So in many ways, that's very good. 
And that's really what I predicted. It actually happened. Three incredible events that indicate that we are very, very close. Anyway, that's the good news. So, so far, we're on track. Now, what I wanted to speak about uh, is the uh, Haftarah of Rosh Hashanah, which is the Haftarah of Yirmiyohu, uh, Perik 31, that talks about two very specific topics. And I want to explain, because it's really very important, <clears throat> is that God, what he does in this Haftarah, if you look at it, he explains that even though it's in the midst of the of, uh, very bad, the Churban, you know, and so on, God says, don't worry. He says this through Yimio. He says that what? That the don't worry, the Golas will end, you see? And the, the, and the Mashiach will come. And it says, be calm, you see? And God even says that I love you internally. And I always will love you. Now, these are incredible statements, you see, of Nechoma, of, of uh, you know, uh, things which calm us and so on, you see, of consolation. And this is the first part of the Haftarah. By the way, that indicates something very interesting. <clears throat> and I will tell you something that will happen. We don't realize <clears throat> that there will be joy which is unbounded when the Mashiach comes. And especially when the Mashiach Ben Dovid comes. Because he will conclude the process. Why will there be such a joy? Because the Jews will actually have succeeded in doing the Tikkun. They actually will have succeeded, however, they do, <clears throat> by doing something which is almost unimaginable. Just look at what the Jews had to do to go through between, between mitzvahs, uh, commandments, tshuva, repentance, and yesuin and suffering, which is the long bit of gullus. <clears throat> and they will have done it. And that will produce a, a, a sense of simcha and joy, exhilaration, which has never been seen before. Because we are talking about the world having achieved its purpose, which is the essential idea of the entire creation. And the joy that we will experience will be beyond belief for the Jewish people. In fact, we cannot even really understand that joy. But in, not only the Jews will have that joy, you see, but even the Goyim will have that. Because many Goyim realize that there's an enormous amount of suffering, agony, and, uh, and so on in the world. Pain, you see, and anguish in the world. They also realize this. So when they see the Mashiach, they will realize that it is now over. So that joy will be experienced even by the Goyim. But besides that, you know will also experience that joy? The entire creation itself, the Malachim, the angels, they themselves, will stare in disbelief at the joy that God will have together with the Jewish people, together with the Torah, that all three will dance together with a joy which is incomprehensible because the purpose of creation has been achieved, 
you see? And that itself is unbelievable simcha, <clears throat> you see? But in any case, that's the first part of the Haftarah. But then the Haftarah goes into something else. It talks about Rachel, or Rachel. And it says that Rachel, that there's a voice coming from uh, Ramot, Rachel is weeping, crying, Abuneho on her children. It's interesting. It doesn't say Rachel will cry over Yosef, Binyamin, because those are her children. It says, Rachel Mavaka Abuneho. Who's her children? The entire Jewish people. All Klai Yisrael is considered Rachel's children. Why? Uh, because what she did was extraordinary. What did she do? <clears throat> when the Beit HaMikdash was being destroyed and the Jews were about to go in Galut, so the Midrash says that there was a tremendous Din Torah, there was a tremendous judgment in heaven. When the exile happens, how long will it happen? And the truth is that they were decreed to be in exile until the Mashiach. You see, <clears throat> And what happened is all the Avot, Moshe Rabbeinu, Aaron HaKoyen, Shmuel Hanovi, all the who's who, so to speak, in Judaism, plead, uh, they plead with God that the Galut should not be that long. You see, that they should be able to resurge again. But God said, nope, they will not be redeemed until the end. But Rochel made her appearance in front of the Bezdin, in front of the court, and she said, you know, God, Rabbi Shalom, I realize you're angry. Why? Because the Jews worship idols. And that's very bad. That's like the biggest defiance you can give to God. Uh, because in a certain sense, you dethro dethrone God from his place. So she said, please, don't be angry, even though it's a humiliation for you. Why? Because look what I did. I was incredibly humiliated. By how? Because Lavan, my father, what he did, Yaakov worked seven years, right? And after seven years, he was going to marry me, Rachel. So what happened? I, I knew what happened. She knew that the father replaced Leah, Lavan replaced Leah to marry Yaakov so he can get another seven years out of Yaakov Avinu. <clears throat> So I realized that what's going to happen, that Yaakov is going to marry Leah, and he's going to ask her for a password, Simanim. And of course, she's not going to know it. And she's going to be unbelievably humiliated. Therefore, I, who knew the password, because obviously Yaakov was going to marry me, and he told me the password, I gave it to Leah. I told her the password. And that's what happened. Lovan switched me for Leah against my protest, probably, right? And Yaakov asked her the password. Obviously, whatever, he wasn't there to see and so on, under the veil, whatever. And she told the password, you see? So he assumed she was Rochel, and he married her. So not only was I tremendously defrauded by my father, right? Uh, but I gave, I actually colluded with Leah. I gave her the password so she shouldn't be humiliated. And I, and I suffered the abuse that my, my intended mate, Yaakov Avinu, uh, was now going to marry a woman 
that ultimately became my rival. You see, why? Because I, I was silent about the fact that I was humiliated because I cared for Leo. I was able to be moist and nefesh, self-sacrifice, so she should not be embarrassed. And that's what happened. So therefore, I beg you, God, she's saying this, arguing in front of the Besden, even though it is humiliating for Jews to worship idol worship, please, be mavater, overlook, you see, just like I did, I overlooked the humiliation out of love for, for Leia, my sister, even though she ultimately became my, my rival. But I want to tell you something. What Rochel did is astounding because it's not only that, Le- that Leia became a rival to, to Rochel, but she actually jeopardized her entire position as a, as, as a mother of Israel. Because imagine a husband who wants to marry somebody and he finds out that his, the woman he wanted to marry colludes with somebody else to deceive him in terms of who's going to marry. So he could get so angry and say, what, you colluded with somebody else to deceive me, to give me the wrong woman? I don't want to marry you. I'm not interested. I have no trust. That's exactly what Rochel did. She actually created a scenario where Yaakov could have rejected her because she colluded with Leah in order to have Leah marry Yaakov. So he could easily have said to her, I don't want to marry you. I don't trust you. I'm not interested. You know, after seven years, this is what you do to me. So she actually endangered her position in the Jewish people. So take a look at the unbelievable Messias Nefesh of Rochel. It's really beyond belief. So that's what she did. <clears throat> so now we understand. So therefore God said to her, very interesting, you know, that not only will he only, the exile will only be 70 years as opposed to waiting until the Mashiach comes. But it was much more than that. What he said was that since you are Moshe Nefesh, right, to, to a, you, you, you self-sacrifice in order that Leah should not be humiliated, and you even endangered your own position. You, therefore, whenever I need somebody, right, to work in the clipper, which means to, that the evil wants it to do, you see, and therefore somebody has to be the sacrifice to go into the clipper and try to remain righteous. But that entails unbelievable suffering and danger then you and your descendants will do that. That's what God said. So now we understand why the story of... Uh, so, therefore, Rochel, of course, remains, the, in many ways, the savior of the Jewish people. In fact, in fact, that's one of the reasons why she died. In fact, in many ways, God set her up for that. And it's, he wanted... He had to have somebody that would end the exile of the Jews not until the Mashiach, but until 70 years passed. So he wanted really Rochel to do this, even though she had free will. Because she's the one, because that taina, that statement, you see, uh, actually saved the Jewish people, you see. So God gave that task of suffering for the Jews to complete the redemption to Rochel and to her children especially through Yosef. Now we understand why the, this 
part is included in Torah of Yimyo, because Yimyo did what? He did, um, you know, he, uh, in that uh, Haftarah, God, like I say, promises the redemption and that it's going it's to be tremendous joy and God loves. Yeah, but h- how? So that's why God brings down Rochel Imenu, that she cries for her children. And God says to her, you know, remove the tears from your eyes, you see, because they will come back to the land and I will redeem them. Because it is through Rochel and her children, especially Yosef, that enable the Jews to return to, uh, to, uh, to bring in the Mashiach. Because whenever there's a need to, to work in the Klippa, which means that all of a sudden the Satan and his minions have tremendous dominion, you need somebody to go into that Klippa and remain righteous. And therefore, that will remove all the nutrients, which are called the sparks of holiness, from the Satan. But somebody has to do it. Somebody has to go into the filth, you see, to rescue the Jews when the Satan is dominating everything. And that's, that, that, uh, that task, because Rocha was able to do what she did, was given to Yosef. But what's important also is that since she did that, like I say, she had that particular task to save the Jews. In fact, that task is so difficult that because Rochel did it, she is able to call the Jewish people her children, Boneha. <clears throat> her children, you see, because since she sacrificed such an extent, she saved the children, all of Klai Yisrael. And that is why she died and was buried in Lechem, because the Jews on the way, the beginning of the exile, because that's what Nebuchadnezzar, the one who destroyed the Beis Amigdash, did. He exiled the Jews to Babylon. And as they were going to Babylon, they passed by Beis Lechem, you see. <clears throat> and since they passed by Beis Lechem, God made sure that she would die at Beis Lechem, so they would pass by her kever, and that would arouse her neshama, her soul, to talk in defense of the Jews, because they are praying at her kever. Therefore, she died in Beis Lechem. I mean, it's an incredible thing, but that's why she's included in that Haftorah, because it is because of her that the beginning of the Haftorah is true. Because of what she did, therefore, that enabled the Jews to have a redemption where God says that he will redeem them, he loves them, and there will be tremendous joy. That's why she's included in that Haftorah, you see. <clears throat> what is also important we now understand why Yosef was chosen to go to Egypt. You see, because really there was a big problem. Somebody had to go into the Klippa, you see. Question is, why did, why does, you know, we talk about Egypt and that we, we thank God for taking us out of Egypt. But the question is, why are we there in the first place? And the answer to that is because when Avraham Avinu, you see, said that he accepts the position, the covenant between God and himself, you see, he accepts it. 
So God said, wait a minute, you don't understand. Mankind, which I mentioned previously, for 2,000 years, from Adam until Abraham Avino, had the ability to do the Tikkun. Then it was given to Abraham, and subsequently, of course, to the Jews. So what they did is they sinned terribly. So they gave an enormous amount of power to the Satan. Enormous. So therefore, the Tikkun would result not only right, in bringing down Kedusha, but you had to take away all the nutrients, the power, the sparks of holiness from the Satan. So therefore, the Jews have to suffer. They have to go into a nation that is the representation right, of the, or the general of the Satan and remain righteous, you see, and that would deplete all the energy of the Satan and he would be killed. That's called Klippa work, which is what I mentioned, <clears throat> you see. So the problem was, Avraham Avinu said, okay, fine. And this is what happened, where they would have go, they eventually went into Egypt. But before the Jews went into Egypt to take away all the Yunika, which is all the nutrients, sparks of holiness, first you needed somebody to go in who was a major neshama to do it first. And who was that? Yusuf HaTzadik. Yusuf was chosen to do the work that the Jewish people would have to do later on as a preparation. So he went into the klipa, right? He was kidnapped. He went into the klipa and he had to remain, of course, incredibly righteous in order to take away the power of the Satan, you see. And the main test was not only to remain faithful to God, to trust in God, which we see he did, because he's always referencing God as the major cause of everything that happens. But he's also had to withstand what's called zima, immorality, especially with Fatifa's wife, who made advances to him, and he withstood that. And that was the major test that Yosef did. And because of all the 13 years that he was in Egypt suffering in prison or under Fatifa himself as the head of his household, you see, and he remained righteous. What happened was, is that all of this allowed him to take away the anika of the sultan. And by the way, that's what got him out of prison. Because since he depleted the energy of the satan, which I said was a preparation for the Jews going into Egypt, he depleted their energy of the satan, and the whole side of evil, Therefore, the Satan had no power anymore to hold them as a prisoner. And therefore, that is why, you see, that is why when Pharaoh in Egypt dreamt that there would be an incredible famine, that famine really was the sparks of holiness that Yosef HaTzadik took out of Egypt. And therefore, the Satan starved because he no longer had that a tremendous holiness that he could nourish off. So if the Satan is starving, guess what? So is Egypt, because Egypt is the Bechor, is the firstborn of the Satan. He was the major nation that represents the Satan. So therefore they starved. So since he depleted the Satan, the Kedusha, he took it back to the side of holiness for seven spheres. And therefore Egypt starved for seven years. 
So it's amazing, and that's what generated the dream of Paroi, you see. And ultimately, you know, he, uh, Yosef got out because he interpreted the dream. So it comes out that Yosef actually got himself released from prison, not through a lawyer or through a defense attorney, but he did it in a spiritual way. He depleted the Yenika, the sparks of holiness from the Satan, which automatically meant it was depleted from Egypt, which automatically generated the dream in Paroi that he should know and be prepared, you see. And that itself is what got Yosef out of prison. And the interesting thing is that <clears throat> since Yosef got out of prison, automatically he had to assume his correct position between the balance of evil and holiness, you see. And since the sparks of holiness, so much of them, went to the side of holiness, Kedusha, and, these, the, and Egypt was so depleted, <clears throat> we now understand a very important idea why Yosef became the Grand Vizier. Because if you think about it, it makes no sense. <clears throat> Just because somebody interprets somebody else's dream, you don't make him the Grand Vizier of Egypt. I mean, you give the guy a reward. Give him money, because all he is is a consultant. But you don't make him, give him the position of a grand vizier. So why did Parah do it? And the answer is because Yosef had to now assume the position that holiness assumed in relationship to evil. And since most of the sparks of holiness was now out of the hands of Egypt because of the work of Yosef, therefore, as a result of that, Yosef had to rise vis-a-vis evil <clears throat> and Yosef did so much work, he emptied Egypt, depleted it of so much Kedusha, which is sparks of holiness, right, which is the fuel for the Satan. He had done so much that he rose to be right on the Paroi. Could you imagine? Right on the Paroi. And therefore, Paroi had no choice. He has to make Yosef. What does it make Yosef? He has to make Yosef the Grand Vizier, which is the second most powerful man in Egypt. Because at that point in time, that was the relationship between evil and holiness. That holiness was incredibly strong because of the work of Yosef, you see. But what enabled Yosef to do all this? And the answer is, Rochel Imenu. She did. Because she was so incredible what she did, so she bequeathed the ability to do what's called creeper work, that if the Satan rules and has incredible dominion, that person on the Yosef, on the Rochel, descendant of Rochel, is able to do that work to go into the creeper, which is very dangerous, because you can easily be influenced, obviously, by the terrible evil environment of the creeper you know, of the evil. I have to go into it, remain righteous at whatever level you can, and therefore deplete or take back all the sparks of holiness. That became the work of the Bnei Rochel, Yosef, you see, especially Yosef. And that's why he was chosen to do that work in order to deplete the amount of holiness in evil. (coughs) And therefore, when the Jews went into Egypt, an enormous amount of the job was already done by Yosef, you see. And also, 
by the rest of the Jewish people because they all followed Yosef, right, to the end of Goshen, you see. And of course, they did tremendous amount of mitzvahs, they learned Torah. So they themselves were the preparation, ultimately, for the major clipper work of the Jewish people as a people themselves. And then ultimately, of course, the Jewish people did it. They depleted Egypt of everything, and as a result of that, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu was able to take the Jews out because there was no sparks of holiness left. In fact, God says that to Avram Avinu, that, uh, you know, your children will be strangers in the land 400 years, and afterwards it says, They will go out with uh, great possessions. It's interesting that the numerical value of is exactly the sparks of holiness because that's really the work of the Jews in Egypt in fact what's interesting is even when they went out of Egypt it says and the, all the hosts of God left now it doesn't say right uh, the hosts of God this is all the hosts of God which means all the holiness left Egypt, kol, all. And that kol, uh, the, the, the gematria of kol tzivas Hashem is also gematria nitzetzei kedusha, the sparks of holiness, you see. So that's the incredible remez of what the real work of the Jew was in Egypt. But like I say, <clears throat> the whole thing was started because of the work of Rochel Menu. And that's why she is included in Torah, where God says, don't worry, I love the Jewish people. I'm going to take them out. The exile will end. The Mashiach will come. How? Only because of Rochel, that she was able to initiate that process, Klippa work, to be able to take the sparks of holiness back from the Satan, which, by the way, is stage one in the redemption. You see? So certainly let us hope that as a result of all this, right, that whoever is now involved in Klippa work, which by the way, is the Mashiach ben Yosef. He is the one who is involved in Klippa work because of course, he is from the soul of Yosef HaTzadik. <clears throat> that this will truly bring the Mashiach. Because like I said, he is involved in Klippa work and hopefully it will have been complete and we begin to see that because when you see three different events occur, you can be sure that the Satan is losing his ability to remain dominant because these are not three events, small events. They are global events. Cuomo is a global event because he is a major general in the Democratic Party. Biden, of course, is a major event. He's the President of the United States. He's the head of the Democratic Party, which represents the evil. And Hurricane Ida, of course it's a major event. It wiped out New Orleans, which is a whole city. And Louisiana, which is an entire state, right? And New York's New York, it's incredible what it did to New York, the amount of damage. You know, which I said they estimate to be $95 billion. And New Jersey and so on. All of these are major cataclysmic events. So that has to tell us that we are very close because it means Satan 
cannot defend his own soldiers, his own uh, generals and so on. That's a very good sign. And all three happened in Elul. And I believe because this year, Tovshim and Beis, as I said, hopefully the beginning of Be'itoi, there will be major preparations for the Mashiach to come himself. And then hopefully the Pekidu will happen either earlier or certainly something will happen in Mitzvah Shemitah. Any questions? Yes. So, um, if Rachel Imenu sings us to her plea... Wait, 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 what was that? If Rachel Imenu was able to um, save her children um, for uh, Hashem, to release us from the exile, does she still have that merit to do it again? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that does not end. <clears throat> and it's you should like know one, one thing, the Jewish people... Is that already? Jewish, what? It's not like a one-timer like that. Like when she no. comes to heaven before and they tell her, you said that already, we used that merit already. No, think of this, the Akedah. Is that a one-time deal? No. No. We have been asking the merit of the Akedah for how many, 4,000 years. Because Avram Avinu Avinu was 4,000 years ago, right? And we're still getting the merit. No, apparently inherent in the Avidah, what they do, it's not just the Avidah, it's also the Tikkun that is done as a result of that Avidah. Because of that task, there's a tremendous uh, accomplishment done in the rectification of creation itself. And that is permanent, that remains. So therefore, what she did remains. And by the way, that is the reason why, um, you know, which I, I gave a shir about Lag Boima, why is it that the Jews go on Rochel Imenu's Yotzeit, which is Yud Aleph Cheshvan? Why do they still do that? Because her merit still continues. And obviously, the fact that the Jews go there means that they know that her merit will continue to redeem them. You see? So that itself tells us that the merit of Rochel continues. And that is why the Jews continue to go to Rochel because she still has that merit, you see. So, do you think we entered the stage of rehabilitation? I think that's going to come up. No. We have not entered that stage, but I think that hopefully will be part of the preparation. So this year... Oh, this coming year. What was that? This coming year we enter it, God willing. Yes, because that has to happen. You know, like I mentioned, in the Tzavim, it says, from there I will, God says, even if you're, it's a very important possible, uh where God says, even if your exiles, right, are at the ends of heaven. So he says, Misham, from there, Yikabetzcha, I will gather you. We mean God goes into the Klippa to take them out. And then it says, Umisham, and from there again, Yikochecho, I will take you. And then it says, Veheviacho, and then God says, I will bring you to the, to the, uh, the uh, land flowing with milk and honey. So we see all of this, the major redemptions or the rehabilitations, have to occur in the Klippa itself, which is basically America and Israel and Europe. 
Those are the klipas that surround the Jewish people. You see. So therefore, the rehabilitation has to start outside of Israel. You see. And, and when it occurs, it will raise the Jews to the level, tremendous level uh, of uh, a, a status where they can now accept Mashiach. And Yikabetzcho means he will gather you. That means he will gather you away from, you see, he will gather you away from the Goyim, away from the nations of the world that are in many ways are corrupt, immoral, depraved, and so on. And he will gather you, he will separate you from them. And then Yikochecho, he will take you to me, God says, I will take you to me. And that itself is the rehabilitation. That's the second phase where they have to be raised in the Torah itself. And then after that, they will come to Eretz Yisrael. Because then between Yikobetzcho and Yikochecho, those two verbs, the Jews will have been in many ways elevated, rehabilitated. And therefore, uh, the Beit HaMikdash will then descend, which I gave the last week's year, because then they are ready for the Mashiach, for that or itself, you see. In fact, in the Haftarah of, of Yimiyo, uh, which we read on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, right, it actually says there that God will redeem the Jews, you see, that he will take them, Yikabetzcho, he uses the same verb, he will gather them. So therefore, the re- hopefully the rehabilitation will take place this year. See. So the main part of the rehabilitation is that we, we find a new found uh, love interest in the Torah and the mitzvot themselves. Yes. Yeah. We don't really know how that will occur. Is that but a part of a... Hashem opening up the neshamaz, or like the, the consciousness of the Jewish people? Because how, how, <clears throat> how else is he getting the people who have nothing to do with Judaism? Yes, that's probably part of it at a lower level, yes. Because all of a sudden, in order for Jews to separate themselves from the nations, there has to be this awakening of consciousness. There is no other way. There is a way which I could suggest, which did happen, except it didn't last. When, when, when the Israeli army fought the Judeanians, 1967, right? And they took over the Kosovo, if you remember that, the, the Six-Day War in June, right? That was 1967, amazing. It was uh, uh, 51 year, 54 years ago. There was an awakening because people were stunned. Why? Because for the first time in thousands of years, the Jews actually had all of Jerusalem and the Kosovo and the wall. And everybody realized there's something going on. There was an awakening of consciousness that maybe this is a messianic uh, event. The problem was, I believe that was a, what's called a Shasa Kosher. I believe that had that continued, that maybe Mashiach would have come then. But it didn't continue. You know, the world fell asleep. Unfortunately, Jewish world fell asleep again. You see... But God can bring about, you should know, a tremendous consciousness of the Jews by a spectacular world event. 
And I can tell you what that world event could be coming up in less than two months. Okay? If you want to hear it. And that is, Israel said, the military of Israel said that Iran is only two months, seven weeks away from the bomb. What that means is that Israel must go to war with Iran because it will not happen with America. I mean, hopefully Biden will agree with Israel, but I don't even think that Biden will do anything. Israel has to go it alone. They have to destroy the nuclear capability of Iran. And that will be a tremendous war between Israel and Iran, which will include Hezbollah and Hamas. And in that war, right, that will be the war that the Midrash talks about, where they want, where it says that uh, at the end of time, that the uh, Iranians, Persian, Poros, will try to dominate the world, destroy it. And then at that point in time, there's an incredible Midrash there, the Al-Qachimani, that says that a divine voice, a Basco, will come out and say, The time of your redemption has arisen. And this is it. And obviously that means that Iran will be destroyed. Or the ability of Iran, of the evil of Iran to be destroyed, which is the Mullahs. They're destroying Iran, you see. Uh, so, therefore, we are watching something that will occur in seven weeks, less, because Israel has to take them out. If they do take them out, which of course they will, right, then that's the end of the Iranian evil. Somehow they're going to take out, and there will be an overthrow of the Mullahs, and maybe Iran will become democratic, because the Iranians are really, are really very bright people. In many ways, they're, they're many, very much Western you know, much more Western than Middle East, the Iranians. They're bright people, they're advanced, uh, and, and so on. So when Israel takes them out, <clears throat> the spectacular aspect of that will be not only Iran is gone, and also Hamas and Hezbollah, because they are funded by Iran, right? That will in many ways be almost the complete eradication of evil, of terrorism, because Iran is the mother of all terrorism. Now, if that happens, what do you think the reaction will be about the Jewish people? They will be stunned. Because that type of an event for, you know, the eradication of the terrorism of Iran, Hezbollah, and Hamas, without, uh, without, you know, just is beyond belief. It's incredible. That in one fell swoop, that's the end of terrorism, basically. You see, <clears throat> And even ISIS and Al-Qaeda, they're also funded by Iran. And that type of event will be so uh, spectacular, as I said, that that will create a tremendous consciousness in the Jew. If that's the end of evil, significantly end of evil, then maybe the Messiah, the Mashiach, is right around the corner. So God can do this, if you think about it, with a historical event that is so spectacular, so extraordinary that every Jew will say this is incredible because it's not merely the demise of Iran, the Mullahs and all that, but it is the turnaround or the end of terrorism which plagues the world terribly, you see. So that can easily raise the consciousness of Jews that something is happening 
because we've never seen such a decisive termination of evil. Listen, Iran is seven weeks away from the bomb. Obviously, Israel must act now in order to save itself because Iran is an existential threat. And this is in perfect alignment with what? With the Midrash in the Yalka Chemoni, where it says, in the end of time, Poras will seek to destroy the world. You see, and then all of a sudden there's a Basco, like I said, that says that as a result, right, that God says, this is the end. And that means that Poras will be destroyed, or the evil aspect of Iran or Persia will be destroyed. And therefore, that is a messianic prophecy, Medrash. So if this happens in less than seven weeks, what does that say to us? We're on our way. And this is going to happen. Israel has no choice. They cannot allow Iran to build a bomb, obviously. Because they're insane. Because they hold that the only way the imam, uh, the 12th imam, that's what they hold, many uh, called Shiites, the only way he can come is if the world is destroyed. Then all of a sudden this guy, this 12th imam, who disappeared by the way, then he will appear. So they hold theologically they have to destroy Israel. It's not merely because they look at Israel, well Israel has, you know, the Jewish people have Israel, therefore we want to take it back. No, they theologically, they have to destroy that, you see. So we're looking at something that will occur in less than seven weeks. And when the Jews will be victorious, the world will be stunned. Because like I say, it's not merely the end of Iran. It's the end of terrorism. Because they are the mother of all terrorists. That's how it could begin. You see. So, Rabbi, now we're in the time of Aseret Yemet Teshuvah. Yes. What, as Jewish nation, individuals, what should we be focusing on? Um, Does this time have any auspiciousness with the process of Mashiach? What should we know, do, etc.? I didn't get that. Say that again. What should you want? What should we know? What should we do during this time? Is there any... Uh, <coughs> during this time that we should know yeah I, I, like I, once, I, I think I mentioned this the writer says that the main consideration in judgment in the Aserasi Meitshuvah and in Rosh Hashanah right is <clears throat> like what Moshe Rabbeinu said who is with God Mila Hashem who is with God by the Cheto Ego <clears throat> what people have to think about is how can I get involved in spirituality? How can I get involved in the Torah, mitzvot, chesed, and so on? That's a consideration, and therefore you are considered as part of the army of God. You see? That's really what God wants. <clears throat> it's not the individual sins that concern Him. It's the whole direction that the Jew takes. So many Jews have nothing to do, or they have, well, very little to do with Torah. How many Jews do have nothing to do with Torah? Uh, so what disturbs God greatly is the direction, you see, of the Jew. That they are completely oblivious 
or absent from the Torah on the path of the mitzvot. However, therefore, if a person says, I want to join God, I want to consider the mitzvot, and tshuva, and so on, and he thinks about that, that will be the saving concept of the judgment in Rosh Hashanah. I mean, this is what the Raivad says, you see. So that's what I would recommend. Tshuva, it's not so much to say I will do tshuva on a specific Avera, which of course is important. But it's me la shemelai, who is with God and who is not. That's the critical consideration. Rabbi, I have a question. Fine. If, if master for seven weeks and if Israel if what? is going to attack Iran, if Israel is going to attack Iran, what's going to happen to all of the Jews there? I'm afraid Iran is going to take the Jews as hostage. There is a lot of Jewish people. I'm from Iran. And a lot of Jewish people, they live in Iran. What's going to happen? Well, I, 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 think, I, I think the answer to your question is this. Israel is not going to destroy Iran. You don't do that. What you have to do is destroy the mullahs, the government, you see. So the yeah. first thing you take out is the nuclear weapons, or whatever, whatever nuclear potential, the weaponry and so on, right? You take that out so they don't have it anymore. The second thing you do is destroy the government. Now, Israel knows where all the government uh, buildings are, where these guys are, where they hide out. This is all part of the incredible intelligence that God has allowed Israel to know. So what they have to do is, and I will say it without any reservation, they have to kill these people. You don't negotiate with evil. You destroy evil. This is what the West does not understand, how they can allow a country to dictate terms to the entire world. How can they allow Iran? Everybody knows what Iran is. So where is the world? Where is the UN? How do you allow one country to create such chaos, such evil, such, such turmoil in the world? You see, you don't. So I believe Israel will take out the government. And besides that, I think that the Iranian people who are tremendously suffering, you see, there's a tremendous shortage of water, COVID, there's the, you know, the economy is, is, is terrible and so on, you know. I think there will yeah. be a revolution. They'll overthrow the government itself. And like I say, the Iranians are bright, intelligent people. Like I say, they're more West than they are East, And they will therefore vote for democracy because that pays. And they will join the rest of the world. And that's the end of terrorism. So I don't really see a danger to the Jews. You see? Because all of this yeah. is going to happen quickly. Next We're not time. talking about dragging it out for months. Israel cannot sustain a war of months. It has to do it in days. And that will be so spectacular that all the Jews in the world will wake up and say, wait a minute, what in the world happened? This is beyond belief. No more terrorism? That could do it. Rabbi. Um, so, yes. Rabbi. Thank you. Yes. Um, you said thank you. You were talking. Survive. You okay. were talking. Yeah. You were talking in the beginning about the 
three things that were were falling down and being the darkness um, was being brought down, like Cuomo yes. or whatever. Yes. Another thing that just came out um, during the Chag was um, Fauci. Fauci had emails that were leaked that revealed that he lied to Congress um, about him paying. He funded the Wuhan lab to start coronavirus. Wait a minute, that came out now? Yes. In leaked emails, yes. Really? You mean that's being reported? That they discovered emails? Reported. That Fauci lied? Yeah. Well, Fauci is a very very evil person. Yeah. What was that? Very. That would be a very big, if he ends up getting prosecuted, I mean, that's major. Well, that would be the beginning of the end of Gefer, of the Magefer itself, the plague. Because Fauci is responsible for many deaths. It's astounding how many deaths this man occurred. <clears throat> you know, if you think about it, how could you take a virus, you know, and increase its capacity to kill? It's ludicrous. Because what happens if it gets out of hand? Which is exactly what happened. You know, it was, there was tremendous negligence in Wuhan, which is incredible. I could put a bunch of buffoons watching a virus that can, is so contagious and kill. So, so how can you upgrade a virus? What kind of morality or justification is this to create a disease that, and it did, that can destroy the world? destroy the economies. It's unbelievable. And if that's what he did, then the man should be taken out and shot because a million people have died because of the lab in Wuhan, China, and what Fauci did. And besides, besides that, Fauci went against many medications that do work. And how many people could have been saved had they taken, for instance, hydroxychloroquine? or ivermectin, or whatever, in the, in the proper way, how many people could have been saved last year? Instead, there was no therapeutics, and they all died. And one of the major opponents of any of these medications, right, is Fauci. So the man is responsible for who knows how many deaths. Yes. So he should be taken out, but more than that, he has to be disgraced, you see. And even that's a minor punishment for this man. Very evil person. All of them. Anyway. That's good news. So, Rabbi, um, if the energy changed on Rosh Hashanah of the, of the world, of the new year, the Tashin Pei Bet, um, did you feel anything different? Did you sense anything <clears throat> in the energy? Yes, I did. Based on what I'm saying, I have this feeling that this year will be a tremendous year for the Jews. It's just a feeling that I have. You know, and I'm backing it up with these ideas, concepts, that we see the Satan is falling. You see. I have another question, but it's from um, last week's class. Um, yeah. When we were talking about the levels of the neshama, 
We were saying how um, eventually the, the <coughs> Zohama will be eradicated from the Neshama itself. But my question is... The, the what will be eradicated? The Zohama. Zohama, okay, yes. So does the Zohama go into all five parts of the Neshama, or does it only go into one specific part of it? Well, it is, uh, it's not that the Zohama doesn't go into the Neshama, at most, the Zohar can surround the Neshama because the Neshama is part of God. The Zohar cannot go into it. The problem is it can surround. A, why is it called a klipa? A klipa is a shell because a shell surrounds the fruit of the, uh, you know, whatever the, the kernel, whatever it is. The way the Zohar works, or uh, the Zohar is a blockage. That's how the Satan can do his work. He blocks, and then he takes whatever unique you should have had, and he blocks it from you. That's, that's, that's the mechanism or the way he operates. So the Zayama doesn't go into the Nishama. What it does, it could surround the Nishama and deny it tremendous holiness that it should, re- that it should uh, uh, have, you see. So that, that's the relationship. That's why it's called a creeper, a shell. It surrounds and blocks, but it does not pervade, because the neshama is too holy for anything to penetrate. So once the shell is, re- so that shell will only be removed when we have tehiyat hametim. Yes, correct. The power to envelop a person is removed when the Satan dies, and I mentioned last week, very important idea. The reason why the Zoyama cannot exist in Oilam is because of the entry of the Shechina at the level of Oilam Yetzirah. You see. So it destroys the Zoyama, the ability of the Satan to pervade this world. And without the Zoyama, guess what? There's no more Klippa. There's no more blockage. You see, there may be different levels of intensity of the ore, of the light, the holiness, but there's no blockage anymore. You see, this was the problem by Adam, that when Adam did the sin, he introduced the concept called blockage. Until then, it was the concept of how much intensity of holiness was there. So he had a certain amount, and had had he not done the tree, it would have been much more. But there was no blockage, you see. It was just a matter of what's the quantity or the, of, of light, of holiness. But the zoyama is a concept of blockage, you see. It, it stops or not just diminishes its intensity. And that will be removed when the satan is killed. You see. Rabbi, I have a question. That's great. So I'm wondering, and thank you so much for putting all of this together for us. <laughs> I'm thinking about... Yeah, you know, remind, it reminds in, me of a garment. reminds me of a garment. Uh-huh. You know, you, sometimes, you ever walk into a store? I use this example. You walk into a store and you see this tapestry, you know. <clears throat> you, know you know what tapestry is, right? You know, it's, a, yeah. it's an embroidery and so on, right? Anyway... And it's, let's say it's large. It's like five by five feet. So you walk to one side of it to see what it is, 
and all you see is little threads sticking out. See, this doesn't make any sense. It's all chaos. So the store owner says, excuse me, you're on the wrong side. Please go around. You go around and you take a look and it's a magnificent picture. That's what this world is. We live and we can see only one side of the tapestry, which is incredible fragmentation, bits, pieces that seem to be completely disconnected. So we can't figure out what's going on, you see. But the job is to go around and to see the magnificent structure, the magnificent integration of everything and how it all forms a beautiful picture, you see. And that's really what the Mashiach does. That's what he does, you see. He takes the information which we have, but it's completely spread out. It's fragmented, piecemeal. And he puts it all together into a beautiful tapestry. You see? That's the concept of structure, the big picture. You see? And then so besides that... that helps me that, with my question. What was that? So that helps me with, my, with the question because I'm not understanding... Did you say that, that that helps you or doesn't help? What is that? To, to frame my question. The framework for this question is about are there lost tribes in Afghanistan and now there's the Taliban and there's yeah. such evil, but maybe there's, are there Jews there? And how does that, is, how are they part of the Ga'ula? How could this? Well, there are, there's only one out? Jew left in Afghanistan. I don't know if you know that. Got him out. They got him out. They got him out. He's back. How? He didn't want to go. He didn't want to go. They got him out. Wow. Are you serious? Because I heard that he didn't want to go. He lived on top of the shul. What was that in Kabul? What? A big chassid took him out. Margaretin, his name is. Ah, yeah. He's the one who got very nice. They saved him with 30 other Afghanis. Basically, his neighbors came to him and told him, uh, you need to leave and you need to take our children and our wives with you. Please wow. save save yourself and save our kids. So this Margaretin did, it, took a, it was a five-day uh, procedure Operation. journey for him to get out. And uh, <clears throat> he's, he's out. That's it. How they get him out of the country? There's no airfare. There's no air, airplanes. How that a, a Jewish a guy, a private thing, him out? Margaretin, this guy, handled everything. Wow, that's he's the one who I think handled. Uh, was it Pollard? This guy who got out of prison. Pollard. Pollard, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Wow, that's that's so, great. So, isn't it if if so, there are there lost tribes? If there's Sorry. no Jews there, then there's no reason for it to to technically like. Doesn't the Jew sustain it? Sustain the place where he lives through his Torah learning or whatever. <coughs> so if there's no Jews left well, there, then yeah, they le- yeah, that's it. But well, you know. it will get destroyed. <clears throat> well, it, what's interesting is that to see, look, the, the Taliban they want to rule. There's about 80,000 Taliban, and there's about 33 million Afghanis. But, 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 but the Taliban, even though they're primitive, it's just incredible how primitive they are. If they want to rule, they, they realize that there has to be a normal state because they're dependent on the world. They need money. 
They need all kinds of goods, you see? So they have to make a decision. Do they want to join mankind or they don't care? So we don't really know what they're going to do. There's no question that they are incredibly evil. It's unbelievable how evil they are. I mean, they will wipe you out. They'll chop you up and spit you out. But in many ways, they have to decide, do they want to remain Afghanistan of the 7th century or they want to become part of the modern world? It should be interesting to see what they do. But there's no question that Afghanistan will be, it's over with. Once Iran is taken out, that that's the end of Hamas and the end of Hezbollah. And in many ways, it's the end of Al-Qaeda and ISIS also, because they also need money, you see. This is the beginning of the end of terrorism. Uh, and, and so on, you see. And that's going to be a spectacular miracle. What was that? Afghanistan is sending the weapons from America to Iran. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, This is all part of the buildup of Iran. Look, the Satan is not going to give up Iran. But it doesn't make a difference what the Satan does. It all depends on the decree. If the time of evil is over which in a certain sense it has to begin to diminish and be obliterated, then Iran is finished. And the Israelis will be successful in destroying the infrastructure and the government of Iran. And will allow the Iranians... Look, there's 83 million people in Iran. That's an enormous amount of people. God is not going to destroy them. And the Israelis are not going to destroy them. Even though many of them side with the government. You see, look, they all deserve what they're getting in terms of the drought, the COVID, the economy. You know, they, they deserve it because they hate the Jews. But that, look, that's the anti-Semitism of the entire world, which, again, will, uh, you know, will end someday. But look, God wants to begin the beginning of the end. And the first thing to go is evil. And the first thing to go of evil is the mother of all evil. So we may be witnessing what's going to come up, a spectacular miracle. And that will be spectacular. You know, what the, uh, you know what the equivalent is? You know what the equivalent is? When communism collapsed, when the Berlin Wall collapsed, that sent shockwaves in 1989. In fact, it was, what was interesting is the Berlin Wall collapsed on November 9th, 1943, which was Yud Aleph Cheshvan. That was the exact date. That was spectacular, you know. Um, and that's when it collapsed. And the world was stunned. Nobody knew how to even talk about it. I remember Bush, like, he, he had, nobody could even conceive of this, that the Berlin Wall collapsed, communism collapsed. And then in 1991, on December 25th, 1991, right, when, when, uh, when they... Uh, uh, kidnapped Gorbachev and then Yeltsin took over that was the end of communism everybody was stunned all of these things have a timeline when the timeline is over they are kicked out or obliterated you see so Rabbi, it's not up to the army Rabbi yeah. seven weeks from now is the week of Yudalif Cheshvan yes maybe 
try. Who knows? But it's coming up. So it's also when the marble, the seven, seventeen, Cheshvan. Yes, correct. Exactly, Yud Yud Ches, yeah. But Yud Aleph, like I gave the Shir, it was supposed to be a Yud Aleph Ches in the marble. It was moved to Yud Ches because of the death of Mr. Shalach. Shouldn't interfere with the Shiva. Yes. I'm telling you, that's going to be a spectacular event. That's what's going to happen. Rabbi, what did you think of all the flooding in New York last week and New Jersey and people drowning? Yes, well, that's always like that. You know, it's funny because, uh, do you read Unisana Tokev? Unitana Tokev? No. You don't have that in your uh, Rosh Hashanah davening? Say that again, what is it? Unitana Tokev, where it says, on what will live, who will die, how they die. Yeah. No, yeah. I don't think so. You don't have that? Yes, we do have it. That. Yes, we do read about it, but it's not a whole thing. It says what that we pray, like in the Avina Malkino kind of a thing. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I, so I don't know what they do, but anyway, the main thing is it was saying who will die by water, who will die by right. fire. Yeah. I felt I was reading something yeah. like current events. Yes, we did. Incredible. Twice. Every, every, we did it when we did the Musaf. Yes, it's in Musaf. I'm sure you have it. Yeah. I can't believe we you don't did, have uh, it. Four times. Four yeah. times we did. Yes, yeah. we do. <clears throat> anyway, <clears throat> yeah. So obviously, unfortunately, besides the, you know, the water was, it's just astounding. There's water all over. And then in California, there are fires all over, even in Lake Tahoe. So there's water, there's fire. You know, it's like, it's like, a, it's like and then there's Magaifa. The plague. It was with the building that collapsed. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and now Kherev in Afghanistan. And Kherev, right. Yes, Kherev, exactly. That's right. In China last night. They said pray for the people in China. Why? It's heavy flooding, but like what we had here last week. Really? 